Hi there. Welcome to Career Girls, a podcast by Ace & Tate for women who know that professional success is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm your host, Sing Sing, and I'm an author and journalist. When I see inspiring, accomplished women around today, and trust me, there are lots, I always think, how did they get there? Was it as easy as it looks? I wrote an entire book series called Forgotten Women about those who prove themselves against all the odds. And if there's one thing I learned from that, it's that success doesn't come easy. You run into setbacks, disappointments, sometimes even just plain bad luck. With that in mind, I wanted to use this podcast to talk to some of my favourite women to find out how they built their career from the ground up, the bad and the good times. I hope you'll find it honest, insightful, and maybe even a little inspiring. I want to begin with a question. We all love Indian food, but what makes really great Indian food? Or rather, who? I'm Asma Khan. I run a restaurant, Darjeeling Express, in uh, Carnaby. When you push open the doors of Darjeeling Express in Soho, London, you're immediately hit by the smell of spice. Asma Khan still mixes all her spices herself. She even dry roasts the garam masala. And the food tastes even better, a homage to her royal Mughlai heritage and the streets of Calcutta where she grew up. One food critic said of her restaurant, if the devil is in the detail, then this kitchen is diabolically blessed. This year, she'll be the first British chef to appear on Netflix's Chef's Table. So how did she get here? I always loved food, but I realised I loved cooking when I moved to this country. And I... The only food I got was the one made by my husband. He's a pretty poor cook, and he only knows how to make one thing. And what was the, the one thing? Some kind of chicken curry. And it was just like I couldn't even identify what it was. And the rice he made, I could glue myself, my large self, to the ceiling with the rice he made. It was so sticky. And I, you know, I can't eat sticky rice like this. Asma was only 21 when she moved to the UK to live with her new husband. That was way back in 1991. She says she was a sheltered princess before. She didn't even polish her school shoes. Then she found herself alone and having to do everything for the first time in her life. I missed everything. I left home and I found I struggled very badly. I didn't know my husband that well. You know, we, I met him and I got married within three months of meeting him. So it was like, you know, living with a stranger in a strange land. I had, knew no, I had no friends and I didn't know anyone. I realised I can't change everything, the person I'm married to, uh, my circumstances. The freezing cold. I came here in January. It was like the river had frozen in Cambridge. And the trees had no leaves. And, you know, I'd seen pictures. And I'm, of course, the you know, pre-internet uh, generation. I left India. We didn't even have cable TV. So we saw state TV in black and white, and, you know, some of us had color TV. I was, you know, I left when there was nothing. You know, nowadays when people say, you know, I miss home, I say, you know, go away. You know, you can Skype and talk to your family dog if you want, you know, in, in India. No sympathy for people who say now they feel bad. But for me, it was a two-minute call, a timed call, every Sunday to talk to my parents. And the whole time my mother was saying, are you cold, are you Okay. And all the time I said, no, no, I'm wearing socks, I'm fine. I wasn't fine. 
So I realized then that, you know, I had to cook. I had to cook not because I was just hungry. That was also one issue. I was empty. I was hollow inside. And this was a way to go home, to, to you know, f- make this room, this space that I could not relate to, this person who didn't understand me or understand what made me take. Uh, I, I cooked to go home. I didn't know how to do anything. I had no idea. I didn't even know how to boil an egg. So I went home in the summer. Uh, I came here in January. I went in summer. Uh, and I asked my mother. I told her that, you know, I may not want to go back, which panicked everybody. Uh, you, you know, in Asian culture, if you don't want to go back, it's a big scandal. But then I realized when everyone panicked so much that I could use this to my advantage. And I told all my aunts that I'm going to leave and come back and no one will marry your daughters because of the scandal. They all taught me all their secret recipes. So I'm the only person in the whole family who can cook all my aunt's secret recipes. They didn't tell each other the recipes because they always leave an ingredient out, of course. I cook everything of my entire family, my grandmothers, my aunts from both sides. I am the custodian of the entire family's recipes because they all thought I was going to bring shame to the family and leave my husband because I was hungry. And they thought, oh my God, we better teach how to cook. But how did Asma go from cooking for herself to feel less homesick to actually running a business? It all started when she decided to use her cooking skills to meet new people. I cooked so that I made friends. But when I started cooking, I cooked, you know, everything the way it was. I saw the look in their eyes. I was taking them home. Then it became a different thing. I cooked to support others who were going through the same empty, hollow, pining for home that I had been through, but I'd, I had overcome it. I'd gone over that terrible, horrible phase in my life. And now I look back and I saw all these empty souls uh, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to feed, I'm going to heal, I'm going to nourish, I'm going to do what I can because no one did it for me. Asma started volunteering at community events and charity fundraisers. But she was also raising two sons and studying for her law doctorate too. In fact, almost all the uh, supper clubs I did initially were all for charity. Also, I mean, some I also was a bit scared people may not want to pay money for my food because I wasn't that confident. So I did it because I thought, you know, even the food is bad, you know, it's a good cause. They don't want to criticize me. So they'll say that this is not nice. But everyone loved it so much and they kept asking me, you've got to do it again. So they were all so enthusiastic. I realized, oh, maybe, you know, it's nice. They like the food and there's, there's a need for this. So then I started doing supper clubs in my house. But that was much, much later. So, you know, you took, I mean, 2012. My father would tell everybody, you know, my daughter, she, she's a doctor. He was very proud of that. I was so scared. And I told them all I didn't want to practice. I didn't want to teach. I want to cook. They'll all be really angry with me. I was very scared. My father would get very upset. I knew my mother would understand, but my father would, would be very upset. Eventually, everyone got around it. And I told them I love, this is what I want to do, this is my passion, this is my calling, I want to cook. Eventually, supper clubs at her home got too unmanageable. So she started a pop-up at a London pub called the Sun and Thirteen Cantons. 
that was a huge challenge. I really, it was brutal because I had to learn how to do table orders, take orders, uh, deal with other things like service. Uh, you know, here you just put big platters out and people in supper clubs, it's very easy. Here you have to individually plate things. All a bit hard, you know, if you've not done it before. But I, yeah, I, I learned. I learned a lot in nine months. That is exactly what my fear was, that people would th- think this is like, you know, Indian food people are like, you know, associate with like going out for a curry, all this kind of horrible connotations of, you know, having vindaloo and, you know, having, uh, you know, just lots of lager uh, and, you know, getting completely like hammered. Business was slow at first. Then everything changed when Faye Mashler, one of the most respected food critics in the UK, came to visit. It was a glowing um, you know, review, but and then you know, a few months later, she listed me as the 15 best restaurants restaurants in in London when I was clearly you know just a pop up. But it had a huge impact. You know, the day her the review came out, we ran out of food. I was going to leave the pop up in this blaze of glory and go home and you know make more notes for my son, who was is very bad at taking notes. Uh, I because the thing is that to open a restaurant you need money. So for me this is where the journey ends. You know a pop up and you know maybe I do another pop up after a while, but that was where you know this is all I could do. You know I couldn't do anything in my house anymore. I wasn't sure where I was going to go, but you know I knew that my kismet was to cook. My destiny, this was my destiny. Where it was going to go I didn't know. When the landlord you know. Suggested, he said, you can't go and make geography notes. You know, you've got, you know, your, your food is so good, you've got to open a restaurant. I said, I can't, I don't have the money. So he showed me this space, which is where we have a restaurant now, and told me, go and have a look at it. It was three shops, three little shops. But I could see it. I, I, I walked in, I just felt this whole space was full of light. I actually could hear people eating my food in that space. But Asma soon ran into a problem. She needed an investor with a lot of money for the deposit. She found one, but something didn't feel right, especially when his father got involved. I've always saw an investor as as of getting married again. You know, having some man who's going to tell me what to do, who's going to criticise and give you helpful suggestions which is not thought through. You know, I, I fought too long my journey um, from being, you know, a girl in a conservative Muslim family to be, to be told and to be controlled. I, I, I'm not willing. It's, you know, it's for me as painful as trying to catch a bird that once fled a cage and trying to put it back. I wasn't going to go back in a cage and definitely not because some man gave me money. He could keep his money. I don't want my restaurant. I'll walk. And his dad said, I'd like to have equal ownership of, you know, let's do this as a joint partnership. So you give me 50% shares of Darjeeling Express because I just think that you are going to be very successful. That was not the agreement at all. So I put the phone down. I said, I'll think about it. And then I called everybody who I knew who had money. Uh, But no one had money to give me at such short notice. And I then realized the dream was gone. I sat and cried. I think I cried for two hours. I've never cried so much my whole life. I sat in one corner and cried. And I guess my husband was watching me weep. So he came and said, I can't tolerate this, that some guy is making you cry like this. 
you know, and I come from a, a very ancient warrior tribe. And, you know, I have always, you know, and much to, much as he hates it, my husband does understand this about me, that I always see myself still as a warrior. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA. I, you know, and I, I never, ever go into battle unless I know I'm going to win. So I, the fights I take on, the projects I take on, it is always to be victorious. Or you don't do it. And, but, you know, I, I raised this whole kind of all-female kitchen, getting people together, almost as if it was a battle, getting everybody behind me. But I led from behind as well. I, I, I saw my role always as the warrior and, you know, as a warrior princess because, you know, I come from a royal family and this was important for me. So my husband's comment to me was that, you know, this is not how a warrior, you know, loses. I said, well, first time in my life, I lost completely because, you know, this restaurant's going to go and I can't pay the, the deposit, which I was supposed to pay in two days' time. And so my husband said, yeah, in two days' time, you can have the money. I've broken all, all my savings and I've given you our entire life savings, including the children's trust fund. For a man who doesn't love food and who always th- told me I'd never make it and who had serious concerns about my ability to, to manage and felt I was wasting my life because, you know, I, I did really well in law school, I did a good PhD. So from an academic's point of view, he was like, you know, what a waste of a life you're cooking when you could be doing so much more. I don't know. I don't know. I, never, I took his money and ran. I didn't ask him, I didn't want to try and overanalyze. There's a one smart thing I did in my life. You know, sometimes when, you know, someone has always uh, been critical of you and then they kind of do something like this, which tells you that they think you are actually quite good. I decided not to gloat over it, to preen and ask him why. And I thought, this is like, you know, until the money comes into my account, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I cleared up all my clothes. I ironed his shirts that night. I was like, you know, let me be really good for two days till the money hits my account. And then I just take his money and run. And I did that. So clearly, Darjeeling Express didn't have a charmed start. But that wasn't the only obstacle that Asma had to overcome. All the things that I had anticipated when I was planning the restaurant that could have gone wrong didn't go wrong. I made a very poor judgment. I, uh, you know, with my management, I paid more than I could afford. And I took in someone from a very well-known, established restaurant. And he turned out to be horrible and a bully. And he came in with his entire front of house staff. And within a month and a half, I had to sack him. But then when I asked him to leave, he took his entire front of house team. He threatened me that basically shut me down and overnight just a month and a half without knowing anything about service I'd done the kitchen bit I knew how to run the kitchen I lost everyone Asma had one front of house staff member left that's nothing she had to get out from the kitchen and start taking the orders herself I became uh, I I became a waitress I served uh, because you know also if I make mistakes people are less likely to shout and so all the kind of tricky tables I did were likely that there would be mistakes in taking orders. People were very kind. You know, I guess they felt awkward shouting at me. So yeah, it was a bit clever, but I did all the difficult service. 
And so we overcame that. And no one felt, um, you know, like someone knew. We hired lots of new girls. So they didn't feel bad because no one shouted at them. Everyone shouted at me. And, you know, those who were, did shout, shouted at me. So I took on the kind of all the, the, the pain and all the things that went wrong. And I apologized. And it was always my fault. And that is, of course, how you lead. When things go really wrong, so you know it was not my fault. I took, and someone, an American man told me, you, my dear, will fly. Because I can see that you didn't make the mistake. But you've come to apologize saying, I made this mistake. He said, this is the sign of a good leader. You're going to, great things are going to happen in your life. And I thought, okay, yeah. Something positive to take out of a really tough day. But it was, it was very difficult. It was horrible, but, you know, every night that we finished, there was so much cheering. And, you know, the, the kitchen, everybody came out and hugged everyone in, the, in this. So the normal division of the kitchen and the front of house, which is normally quite stressful, there's a lot of shouting and screaming happens between them because... These guys are putting pressure, like, get the food out. Those guys are saying, you guys don't understand, the food is not ready yet. Or when their mistakes happen, everyone blames each other. This huge, you know, conflict zone, the pass, is a conflict zone between the kitchen and the service people. And that, those nights, tough nights, where the kitchen staff was just so sympathetic towards these new people who had never done this before, coming into this, that it broke down all those barriers and this is why we are where we are. This is great empathy, you know, this is unity. They're a team, a whole team, not the kitchen team and the front of house. We are one team. Now that Darjeeling Kitchen is flying high, asthma isn't done. She's always finding ways to give back to women like herself at the start of their career. I give this space on Sundays for free to women who are home cooks. But I, I, I find women who have stories, women who have stories that they're, they're not cooking because they think this is a kind of cool thing, this is not a new business, but they're cooking with the same passion that I can relate to. And I give them that space. They keep all the profits. For my guest, Asma, cooking and eating food together is powerful. It's the ethos that underlines everything she does. Breaking bread is about peace, but it is also about understanding. If you and I ate a meal together and I cooked something for you, which is very something very tra- traditionally Muslim, you won't understand everything that I am. But by eating this food and having this conversation with me, what this food means, you understand a bit about me? So next time you see a Muslim, you'll wonder, do they eat the same dish? Whatever. It is about bringing down barriers. I, I'm a great believer in, in the tribe of women. One of the most unique things about Darjeeling Express is its kitchen, run entirely by women, many of whom have never cooked professionally in their lives before working at the restaurant. The old women, women kitchen uh, was not deliberate. I mean, I could say that now, I'd be lying, because it just made sense. Uh, you know, these women came, they were nannies and nurses and cleaners, and they heard about the supper club, uh, from friends and, you know, they turned up to to eat as well because, you know, Sunday was always, they all worked as nannies, mainly in French families. Sunday was their day off, but they live in nannies, so they have nowhere to go. So they came to my house. They came to my house, they ate samosas, they, they washed the pots and pans, and then they took all the leftover home. Uh, so, and they met other nannies who they would not have met. So it was great. It became a social space, the supper clubs. And the women who started cooking with me in 2012 
are all in the kitchen in Darjeeling Express. Asma's come a long way from the homesick, heartbroken young woman pining for food. She's turned her back on a lot of things, including a promising academic career. And she took a lot of risks, not least opening a restaurant at the age of 47. What would she tell her younger self? Not to, not to be so afraid. I think that, you know, a fear is, a, is, is, is a, a, a chains that you tie around yourself. And I realized with age that when I finally let go of fear, and I did this by visualizing myself on the top of a mountain and jumping, absolutely not fearing that I would fall. I knew I would fly. And I think that that, you know, I reached that point. I wish I'd reached that point earlier. I'm glad I did it eventually. But it is, you know, when, you're, when you are facing very big hurdles, uh, some of them of your own making and your own emotions, uh, some of them real, uh, you know, difficulties, challenges, difficult people, difficult circumstances. I, I realized one thing that, you know, I was not sure how I'd get over that, the hurdles. But once I gave away fear from my soul, not only did I, can I go over the hurdles, I could fly. I'd like to thank Asma for being such a perfect first guest for Career Girls. But before we say goodbye, what kind of reading material is she currently into? Is there anything out there that will inspire amateur chefs? I hadn't watched a lot of uh, Bowden's, Anthony Bowden's stuff. This is what I'm watching a lot of. How wonderful the man is. And uh, so I've kind of, you know, when I should have been watching it, I was too busy working. So I never had time to see it. Now that, you know, I, I, I've learned how important it is to have this compassionate tone of others and respecting their food. You know, I, I find Bowden, I've, I've been watching everything, you know, on TV that, that, that he's done. And I've, I've, I've loved that. And I have been reading a lot of poetry, I, uh, just random stuff. Um, I used to write a lot of poetry when I was younger. And so I, have, I, found, I've, I found myself writing again. So that's, that's what I've been doing. I've been writing a lot of poetry. What do you write poetry about? I write poetry about conflict. I write about pain and conflict and how you deal with, with things that hurt you. Not sure why, but that's, that's, uh, that's what I write about, how you overcome grief and how you overcome pain and how, you know, so a lot of this is to do with this idea that, you know, I always am amazed at birds that sing in the dark because they know dawn is coming. So it's, so a lot of my poetry is to do with this, that it is the poetry about hope in darkness, but also about how, you know, through pain, you know, dawn will come. I'm Zing Sing, and you've been listening to Career Girls, a podcast from Ace and Tate. If you've enjoyed listening to a podcast, please toss us a like or hit subscribe. Tune in next time for more honest and inspiring career journeys.